Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is the last Sunday of Epiphany, and I want to remind you what Epiphany is about. Epiphany is a season in the church where we celebrate the mystery that God is being revealed in Jesus Christ and how through that revealing to us, we are to proclaim his word throughout the world and be the light. I love the progression of the collects in Epiphany. The first collect of Epiphany begins with the remembrance of the star that led the wise men to Jesus to worship at his feet. The collect then asks that we may also be led by the presence of Jesus in our lives so that we too can see his glory. The second Sunday of Epiphany elaborates on this theme and asks that we may be granted the knowledge of the presence of Jesus in our lives through word and sacrament so that we too may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory so that he may be known. The third collect of Epiphany last week picks up on how knowing Christ leads to helping others know him, praying that we answer the call of Jesus by proclaiming the good news of his salvation so that the whole world may perceive his glory. But before we can get too excited about going out there and doing that proclamation, today's collect reminds us the dangers we will encounter in that very proclamation from opposition to our message, as well as due to our own frailty of nature. And so we prayed this morning for God's strength and protection to carry us through every temptation. And so I think it's apt that in our lectionary today, we read the stories of Jeremiah and David, and even the story of Jesus in Nazareth, who endured that very kind of trouble and persecution. Stories which teach us that the calling to proclaim and the capacity to do so can only come from God. What strikes me in both our readings from Jeremiah and David's psalm is the calling of God to these two messengers is first a call into a relationship with him. Karl Barth defined vocation as the event in which persons are set and instituted in actual fellowship with Jesus Christ, namely in the service of his word and therefore in the service of God and their fellow human beings. But notice that the call to vocation begins with the event in which persons are set and instituted in actual fellowship with Jesus Christ. In other words, our call is, yes, perhaps there are specific things that we are definitely called to, but first, our call is to be in a love relationship with Jesus. The first chapter in Jeremiah tells the story of this event in Jeremiah's life. What is the first thing that God says to Jeremiah? It is, I see you. I knew you in your mother's womb. And before you were born, I set you aside as one who would proclaim me to the nations. And isn't that a universal desire? To be seen, to be known, and to know that our life has purpose. The overwhelming message of scripture is that each of us is seen and that our Father indeed wants to pour into us a call to serve him. It is not just Jeremiah's and David's that receive this call. Paul reminds the early Christians in the middle of the first century in the first chapters of Ephesians 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. To do. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So that is where our proclamation must begin. The call of a loving God who whispers in each of our souls, I am waiting for you. God is calling each of us and he has given us a vocation, a purpose in life. Unfortunately, much of the evangelism of the past century wanted to start somewhere else. What will happen to you when you die? And as important as that question is, I don't think that is the place to begin because people long for connection, for love, for healing, for God. They long to be seen. They long for purpose. They long for a desire deep within them that perhaps they can't even name, which is the desire for God. Perhaps that is the secret of the unbeliever's heart. And how does Jeremiah respond to God's call? Lord, I am only a boy. I don't know how to speak. And how many of us, when we hear a sermon encouraging us to the proclamation, as Father James did so beautifully last week, will say to ourselves the same thing. That message is not for me because I am only, well, you fill in the blank, okay? Because we all fill in the blank with something that we feel will prevent us from being proclaimers of God. Because making up excuses is nothing new. Moses said he could not speak. The disciples were always making up excuses to Jesus. But God doesn't reprehend, um, reprehend Jeremiah. He doesn't tell him, oh, go read a book or even go to a school for prophets. God simply tells Jeremiah to not be afraid that he will be with him. He will give him the words. In the Bible, God does not respond to fear with ridicule. Rather, fear not, I am with you, is a very common phrase. Joshua was told not to fear entering the promised land. God told Isaiah to fear not. The angel told Mary. Jesus told his disciples in the storm on the Lake of Galilee. And Paul reminds the Philippians, fear not, because something stronger and someone stronger than you is present. But in this beautiful vision of Jeremiah, God does more than tell Jeremiah to fear not. He touches Jeremiah. And with that touch, he reassures Jeremiah that the now the words he needs are in his mouth. They are now inside him. The word and the story of Jeremiah and God is now in Jeremiah's heart. We too need to share the stories that God puts inside us. This past week in our daily office, we celebrated the festival of the conversion of Paul. That morning, I reflected upon my own conversion. I came to God so broken, so full of grief for the abandonment I had faced as a child and that seemed to be crippling me in relationships. But that autumn, so many years ago, my senior year of college, 
Something new was happening to me. Distinct moments when I felt the wooing of the Holy Spirit until I finally gave up all my mental resistance and prayed, Jesus, please take me into your arms. And he did. And I remember in those early days after my conversion, wanting to share with all my friends, all my hippie friends, this new love in Jesus. And somehow I was kind of surprised that it wasn't met always with open arms. I think I was a little bit like the Corinthians. I was speaking in a tongue they didn't understand. But just remembering this week that, it reminded me that the desire to share comes from that deep sense of God's love and acceptance for us. This is the love that we offer the world. This is what we need to proclaim, tangibly, verbally, personally, and corporately. Did I get an okay on the quiz? Okay, good. <laughs> but this is the personal part. The personal stories that we have inside us are so important. And not just these stories of the past, but we need to be seeking new stories of rescue and love and strength, giving God all our fears and relying on his strength, which is the message of Psalm 71. Psalm 71 has traditionally been ascribed to David because Psalm 72, which concludes book two of the Psalms, ends with this epitaph. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. It has been suggested this is the prayer of an aging David looking back on his life, remembering God's faithfulness to him. It is categorized as a psalm of lament, but actually there is very little lament because David is looking back over all of his life and seeing how all the threads of the tapestry fit together. But a few verses before our passage begins today, David declares, for you, O Lord God, are the one I long for. You are my hope, even from my youth. Though you have I, through you, I have been upheld ever since I was born. You took me out of my mother's womb. Here David, an old man, states the very thing that God told Jeremiah in his youth. I knew you before you were born. And I want you to notice that on the front of your bulletins, there is this picture of a baby in a womb to remind us that God knew us from the very beginning, all of us. But David, so David looks back at his own life and sees God's faithfulness. But in verse 10, again, before this that we have with us this morning, there is a darker note. Forsake me not when my strength fails me. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for me, they take counsel together. They say, God has forsaken him. I think that is an important context for where the psalm picks up at verse 11 from our reading today, because David's response is simply, oh God, make haste to help me. So who are these enemies? I often find it hard, and probably many of you do too, when reading the psalms, about these prayers of vengeance upon enemies. But here is elsewhere, we must see these enemies first as enemies of God, not simply David's. The enemies would stand in the way of God's call to David. 
And as we read the Psalms, we might even see our enemies as our own self-doubts, our own fears of being forsaken. And the key here for us and for David is that David is not trying to defeat his enemies. He is not the one seeking vengeance. He's leaving that for God. He is asking God to be his advocate and helper. He is imploring God to take his side, to be for him. And he is using whatever predicament he finds himself in as an opportunity to praise God, to abide in him, to dwell in his strength. I am struck that David's prayer, praise of God, is rooted in remembrance. You, O oh God, have taught me from my youth. Even to this day, I am telling of your wondrous works. And how this remembrance gives David courage to face the future because God is with him. So he says, I will go forth in the strength of God. These stories within us are personal, but they are also corporate. Oh, what great troubles have come upon us these past two years. And yet in the midst of this, we clung to our worship. The number one theme that came out of the focus groups with Canon Mark Eldridge two weeks ago when he asked all of us, what is the number one strength of all souls was the beauty of our worship. And what does our worship consist of? Proclaiming God as Father and Jesus as our brother and King, casting our eyes away from our own predicaments, our own grief, and seeking his face. One of my greatest privileges as a deacon is serving the Eucharist to you and to the children. I see the hunger in your eyes for God. I love it when the children will say things like, wow, or that tastes really good. <laughs> I see the love and joy that happens when we feed upon Jesus. And this is the greatest story within us, that Christ himself indeed dwells inside us. In our worship, we find the relationships of love we crave from God, but also with our fellow hungry seekers who find the refreshment and comfort that David speaks of. So we can look back past two years and see true opposition to the gospel for whatever reasons in our midst. But let us remember our calling as a parish. And maybe that calling came to you 17 years ago, or maybe it came to you a year ago when you first entered our sanctuary. But remember that calling to come apart as a people, to be faithful to the true word of God and his worship, and to be a place of healing and belonging. And let us look forward to a brighter future, remembering God's faithfulness to us, clinging to our God who sees us, who sees all souls, who calls us and promises to be our strength and joy in the days to come. So in this epiphany, let us follow the light of Jesus, reflect his glory, feed on him in word and sacrament, and proclaim his good news in his strength and mercy and grace to a broken world desperately in need of his love. Amen.